Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. This morning, I'm going to walk you through an aha that God gave me a while back. I'm doing it this way for two reasons. I could just give you the, the, the version that's all cooked, and here's my points. But instead, I decided to walk you through it because, first, I wanted you to see what God showed me. But also, one of the questions I get most often is how do I know if God's talking to me? So I decided to share this sermon this way so that, because we learn from each other's stories. Revelation said they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, our testimony is our story and how God speaks to us. And so today I'm going to walk you through that. And it started with my pup, Theo. So Theo is a standard poodle, and he is a lovely dog who's about 19 months old, and he likes bunnies, which is a problem for me because he likes to run around the neighborhood and search for bunnies. He's never caught one yet, and I don't think he'd know what to do if he did, but he loves the adrenaline rush that he gets from chasing those bunnies. And he he has a habit of getting out of our yard and run, if we let him out at all, he will run around the the corner um, into the street, and he'll search about three houses down, and um, under every car to see if he can find any bunnies. We went to my mom and dad's house, and he was searching under their truck for bunnies, and the only bunnies they have there are deer, so he wasn't finding any. Um, <laughs> but, we, but one day, he, he even went across the street, and I went, okay, you know, this is annoying when it's three houses down, but when he's crossing the street, this is starting to be dangerous. So I put on my mommy voice and told him, you get home. You get home right now. I was very mad. And I let, I let my voice be very mad. And uh, I'm not going to impose that on you right now. But you can just imagine. <laughs> and, and then when we got to the door, I said, you go to your crate. You go to your crate. And he, he, um, I made him go. And I made him stay there for a little bit. Well, then a little while later, um, about a week later, he got away again. And so I did it again. You get home. And it turns out that the neighbor can tell him to get home, and he knows how to do that now. So that was a positive of all this. But then the third time, he beat me to the door, and then he was waiting at my office door to get into his crate. And I went, I think we've missed the point. (laughs) I wanted him to stop chasing bunnies, and he thinks that the result of chasing bunnies is that he goes to his crate. He thinks it's just a natural sequence of things. And I think that he should stop chasing bunnies. But as I came up to the door and he was already waiting for me, I got a, huh, from God. And I looked at him and I watched. So when he was waiting at the door to to my office, I was like, huh, God's showing me something here. And it made me wonder, what if we... What have we missed? Where have I missed God's correction and assumed that it was his direction? Where have I missed God's correction and assumed it was his direction? 
So I started looking at what I might be missing. This was God telling me, look a little deeper. Look at me from a different angle. What was God trying to show me, I wondered. Which brings up a point. How do we know when God's trying to expand our view? For me, it's a new pattern that I notice, or a huh in my spirit. When I usually don't notice anything, it's a pause where I sense God's at work. Now, sometimes those huhs can just be weird. So I don't hold them sacred. I just hold them loosely to see if God adds anything to them. He and I have an agreement because I know that how easy it is to take a hunch or take one scripture or to get somebody else to say anything that's almost anything, that if he wants me to move on something, if, he, if he's giving me a direction, he needs to confirm it twice. Once from scripture and twice from other sources that I did not initiate. In this case, it was confirmed twice in scripture, once in the Old Testament and once in the New. And as we were reading through our immersed study this spring, Psalm 83 jumped out at me. Let's read verses 1 to 5. Oh God, do not be silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind they plot together. They form an alliance against you. They form an alliance against you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never assumed that something that happened to me was happening to God. Huh. Israel expected, this is a, this is a communal lament where they're talking to God as a community. And Israel expected that when people came against them, they were coming against God and he would fix it. Now, it had a bit to do with their understanding of the world. Other nations saw God as authorities over places, but God moved with the Israelites. He was a God over a people. This is easy to dismiss because they were God's people. But this still count, does it still count today? So I started looking because we live in the New Covenant, which is covered in the New Testament. So I went to Jesus. And Jesus mentions at the Last Supper, the New Covenant that Jesus mentions at the Last Supper, and we live under this New Covenant, and we celebrate it every time we take communion. So this is the space we live in. So we know we got the Old Testament. Did we see that Israel saw that when things are coming against them, they were coming against God. But in the New Covenant, the Israelites saw the world such that when bad things happened to them, it happened to God. Does it ring true today? So I found John 15, verses 23 and 24. Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. Well, Jesus thought that. 
If I had done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. This is hard for us to understand in our individualistic society. If someone insults me, they're not necessarily insulting you. And if you insult me, you're not necessarily insulting my family. And they said, yes, of course. In collectivistic societies, there's a sense of shared identity. And in the U.S., we're in a transition of sorts. We don't have a clear collective identity at the moment. And to date, we've been extremely individualistic. So it's hard for us to understand whoever hates me hates my father as well. Except in a phrase like, if you think I'm good, wait till you meet my dad. But Jesus takes this further. In John 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who does his work. When was the last time you thought that by you showing up, people were seeing God? And had no doubt that every word you spoke, it was actually God speaking through you. But wait, there's more. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we would have the same relationship. He, pr he prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. And that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May we also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I have, as you have loved me. God loves you the same way that he loved Jesus. Let's read verse 21 again. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Huh. So what can we learn from this? I have always thought of God and the Father and Jesus and, and Jesus and the Father and the Father and Jesus but I haven't thought about us and them. And I'm working through what this means for us. But I thought I'd bring it to you today because I think we can learn a few things from it. One, we're designed for community. When we face conflict of any kind, we tend to have one of four anxiety responses. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. When we respond in any of these ways, we're cutting ourselves off from relationship. We're trying to control the situation. We're reverting to our primal, I just need to protect myself mode. Now obviously there's a time when relationships should have boundaries put around it, 
and when the other person is out of control, etc., but God doesn't give us a total out. Paul wrote on this topic as well. He doesn't say, when people slander you, avoid them. He doesn't say, when people are mean, walk away. Instead, in Romans 12, 18, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This wasn't really original to Paul. In John 13 through 15, those chapters, Jesus tells us four times to love one another. One of the things I do is help people see conflict differently, turning conflict into collaboration. So when I see four times that Jesus commands us to love one another, I can't help but think we're missing something. Even in Christian circles, we don't often see love conquering disagreement. Huh. This feels like we're marching back to our cage after chasing bunnies and that we've missed God's point. It is Jesus' desire that believers operate as one body. This starts with us having God's love for one another, believing that we each have positive intent. And where there is disagreement or offense, talking it through with respect and letting go of it. Conflict as we know it should be an indicator that we have an opportunity to share differing points of view, not that we're against one another. The second thing that we can learn is that the Godhead is communal, three in one. Jesus is in the Father, the Father's in Jesus. To see Jesus is to see the Father. In our humanness, we like to divide up the Godhead. Who's ever prayed to whichever one of the Godhead, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, that you find to be the nicest today? (laughs) Right? There's whole books written on this. We like to divide them up, but that isn't God's view. They're one. I know when my kids were young and we told them that what one of us said, the other one was saying, they didn't like that very well. I think sometimes we do the same thing to God. Holy Spirit, you're a little bit nicer. Let me go to you first. We, had made, we are made, and then the third thing we can learn is we are made for a relationship with God. And this isn't just part of our lives. I'm going to repeat that because this is important. We're made, we're made for relationship with God, and this isn't just part of our lives. It's our whole lives. All the parts. All the uncomfortable parts. All the parts where we're blowing off steam. We are made for, to be in relationship with God in all these parts. He made us. He knows us. And he loves us as we are. Jesus prays here that we would be in them, not divided from them, but just like Jesus on earth, seeing things as God sees them, responding as he does, not like wondering what Jesus would do in doing it. That probably wasn't the best theology we ever came up with. What would Jesus do? Because our, our, that, that asked me to assume rather than talking to God directly. But instead, 
hearing God's heart in a matter and responding accordingly. This requires constant communication and feedback loops. Communication isn't complete until the picture in my head is the picture inside your head. And I'm thinking right now of something red with runners. You have a picture in your head now. It's red with runners. If you leave our, con- our conversation right now, you'll assume I'm talking about what? Anybody? I heard something, but I didn't hear what it was. A sled? What else? Anything? But if you ask me a question, you could t- I can tell you more. For instance, you'll discover that it has a cab and a bed, and it's an early 1950s model. We might have a picture of it. There we go. In a similar way, we need to stay in constant feedback loop communication. I think I made that up as far as a phrase. Feedback loop communication with God. Imagine Jesus walking down the street with his pals and he notices a funeral procession. He feels that huh in his spirit. So we start a feedback loop conversation with God. As he moves forward, he now knows that God wants to raise that boy from the dead. So he goes up to the funeral procession, and sure enough, when he says, young man, I say to you, arise, the man sits up and starts talking. You'll find this in Luke 7. And the weird thing is, is that it says it's a boy, but then it says it's a man. In other words, it's the widow's son, and we don't actually know his name, his age. This likely wasn't the first or last funeral procession that Jesus would have seen. What made this one different? Jesus listened, heard God's intent, and acted. If it were someone in less of a relationship with God, and they, they might have thought that God was calling them to help the widow, they would have heard the huh, where Jesus was pulling, or God was pulling their attention to the, to the funeral procession, But then, all of our tendency is to jump onto our own understanding. What does God want me to do with that? Well, here's what I have. I can help that lady. She needs, she's going to need help now. She's all alone. But Jesus knew that this time God wanted to raise the dead. Jesus knew that he was to speak to the boy. Remember in the Old Testament where every battle had a different plan? But sometimes Israel assumed that what was done for their last victory was the new game plan. That never went well. Never did. This was God teaching them to hear his voice, to be in feedback loop communication with him. Now how can you learn to hear God's voice? If you aren't sure of God's character, read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. Read the stories. If you aren't sure of God's voice, spend time in worship and prayer. If your heart needs to be convinced of God's existence or his love or power, meditate. Meditate on scripture. Take a scripture and mull over it as you go through your day. How does it apply? 
God, what are you telling me about this scripture today? What are you wanting to teach me from this scripture? I once signed up for when the kids were little and I had absolutely no mental time. I had a one scripture a day that came in my email and I cannot tell you the number of months that every day that was God's word for me. And that one scripture he would apply all day long. It doesn't take, it does not take a lot of time. It takes an attitude of the heart. Meditate on God. As you go through your day and hit those rough or boring patches, ask, what is God doing in this? I, can, <laughs> I have a lot of stories. One of them is kind of gross, um, but it is the most poignant. Um, I had a child who was potty training, and she figured out that when she went in the little potty, we put it in the big potty. So she decided to do it herself, which made a really big mess. And as I was cleaning up this very big mess, I asked God, where are you in this? <laughs> and he said, how many of your mistakes do you try to clean up yourself? Because the problem wasn't that she just tried to do it and made a mistake. It was that then she tried to clean it up, and that, that was the real problem. And he said, how many of your mistakes do you try to fix yourself instead of letting me fix it, instead of asking me. That was a really poignant moment. But it was my habit at that point in my life, and it always has been as far as I can remember, to ask God in those patches that I'm a person that does not like um, discomfort. So if I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to ask God what he's doing because it's comfortable for me to talk to God and it's not comfortable for me to be uncomfortable. So I just move it and I say, God, what are you teaching me here? And I learned something. It draws me closer to God. So meditate on God as you go through your day. When you hit those rough or boring patches, ask God, what are you doing in this? Maybe you start a feedback loop, communication, conversation. What are you noticing? Ask God about it. Let's, turn, let's return to John 17. Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. But all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Does the world know that God loves you? Do the people that you walk with in the grocery store know that God loves you? Can they tell through your daily actions and your attitudes that God loves you? How do... Other kids know when kids are close to their parents. Yeah. Probably that's one of the ways that we know. We use the resources we have to help other people. How can I be praying for you? Because God's our resource. That's how they know that we trust God with our problems. 
When we are called to deal with conflict or problems in the church, we often find that people aren't thinking about loving those God has around them. They often aren't even realizing the connectedness between their behavior and how God, people see God. They see, we see people put themselves and their way of looking at things first. What would it look like if we could connect everyone in our churches to Jesus in such a way that to interact with them draws people closer to God? This isn't a one-way street. Jesus is in God, and God is in Jesus, and we are in them. John 16, 26 and 27 says, In that day you will ask me, you will ask in my name. And now, here's this. I have studied these chapters, but this part I had somehow just glossed over. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus isn't saying, I'm standing, you have to come to me and I'll go to God. He's saying, you go directly to God. One question that I have, that I have no idea if it's in my notes, is where, if you see yourself in the throne room of heaven, where do you see yourself? Are you sitting on God's lap? Are you at the back of the room peeking around hoping nobody notices? Are you hiding in the crowd? Are you in the front? Where are you? In the throne room of heaven. God wants to make sure we understand that God doesn't, Jesus wants to make sure we understand that God doesn't just tolerate us because of what Jesus did. His actions bring us into direct relationship with the Father. And we can boldly ask in Jesus' name, and God will deliver. He will answer us directly. He's not a vending machine. He might answer no, but he will answer us directly. Back to Psalm 83 where we started. They end this national lament with this. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. One of the things we see repeated in scripture about God's character is that he isn't a God who is far away, removed, watching, or disengaged. He's a God who's near, who cares deeply, and never deserts us. His relationship with Israel and with us is that others will know that he is God and he cares. His relationship with Israel and with us is that others will know that he is God and he cares. So after watching and listening, after that first, huh, it appears that there's a connectedness to God that is deeper, that when something happens to me, I can know it's happening to God, that there might be more to God than we imagined. So all this happened over about a week's time. First, Theo and his crate, after doing what I didn't want him to do, totally missing my point. And then Psalm 83, and then the New Testament scriptures in support of this, being an ongoing thing. And then I heard a testimony on Seedbed, one of the devotionals that I listened to. A woman was giving her testimony, and I'm going to read you a short excerpt. How do I experience the Father's love? 
Well, that ha what happened next was oddly unsettling because I immediately had a scene unfold in my mind's eye. I saw myself at the beach and I watched as I walked into a very shallow ocean. And the further that I waited, for some strange reason, it never got any deeper than up to my knees. The Holy Spirit flooded my heart with the answer to my question. If God's love is supposed to be as deep as an ocean, I had only waited knee deep. So this is where I leave you today. How do you experience God's love? Do you know his voice? Is there a connectedness to God that you might be missing? What can you do this week to help you hear God's voice and be in a feedback loop communication with him? And what might it look like throughout your week? We're going to take a few minutes. This was a heavy, this was a heavy message, and it was kind of deep. But we have a lot of ways that we can respond. You can sit at your seat, or you can ask the person next to you to pray with you. There was a time when I was in a deep depression, and I could not make myself go down front. And I turned to the person next to me and asked them to pray for me. And God healed me. You can take the next few minutes, though, and ask God, am I missing something? Have I thought that you just wanted me to do this after I chased bunnies, and instead you wanted me to stop chasing bunnies? Have I thought that I was responding as you wanted me to respond, but I'd never asked you? Do I need to add feedback loop communication? What does it look like for me to serve you this week? God is infinite. And we are finite. We only see this much. And every day, no matter how long we live, we get to learn more of Him. We get to learn more of Him. He's bigger than we can imagine. Jesus, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you Open the throne room of heaven to us that we can talk directly to the Father. Father, thank you that you respond and that you love us. You don't just tolerate us. You love us. And I pray that we would live that in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming today. Would you stand with me? And let's read our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. <laughs>